The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Number two is where we will find our text here this morning. So good to have each and every one of you in God's house. And I hope you're come with a spirit ready to worship our risen Lord and Savior with a heart just to get from the Word of God exactly what He has for us. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 2 is going to be our text here today. We're currently in a series that we've entitled Shattered. And the tagline being Surviving in a broken world. How do we survive when things get broken, when dreams get shattered? How is it that we as believers are to respond? And really more specifically and more accurately, how does Christ want to respond through us when we're going through very difficult and hard times? This morning we're going to talk specifically about how to respond to opposition. Have you ever had a season in your life where you had an opponent, you had some opposition and maybe it was at the workplace, Uh, maybe you felt like there was some maybe individuals who were trying to oppose you spiritually, trying to oppose something good that you were doing And, and, and how does a believer respond to that opposition? How is it that Christians are to engage those that are opposing the good that they're attempting to do for the glory of Jesus Christ? I think if we were to be honest, all of us have had seasons in our lives where we've been at odds, where maybe we were trying to do something and and there was just opposition there. And I think we've all been there. How many of you, uh, maybe in high school or in college, you you played any any sports? Anybody? You played some baseball, played some football, basketball? All right, so there's a couple of us. So this must not be the most athletic crowd uh, in in the world. But uh, I think some of us have played some sports. And and I I went to a small private school and so we didn't have all the athletic program like some of the other schools had. And so our football program uh, consisted of what was called uh, six-man flag football. How many of you are familiar with what flag football is? All right, It's like football uh, for pansies and uh, for (laughs) people who don't like to get hurt, you know. And uh, basically you strap these flags around you and and instead of tackling the person uh, you just pull their flag and that's basically how how you get tackled. And and, and honestly, for me it worked quite well because obviously a little bit smaller and things. And so when I was in high school uh, that played to my advantage. I I enjoyed being in a sport where I wasn't going to get pummeled by guys three times uh, my size and so I was a little quick and and so it worked really really well for me and I I remember on one particular occasion we we had just gotten the ball we were probably on the 20 we probably had 80 yards to go until we were going to get there and and score and and, uh, there was a little Two, kind of a five and out type of pattern. I was playing wide receiver at the time, and so I stepped a couple of uh, yards out, turned, caught the f- football, and just started running. And, and I had about two guys behind me, and one was getting rather close, and you could tell he was trying to get the flags, not able to do it. The other guy was coming up right behind him, but not close enough to reach for the flags. And I was starting to gain a little bit, and you could tell he was going for him, and he just wasn't quite able to get him. And so as he was falling behind me, kind of got tripped up under his feet, he just kind of started to fall, and, and, and 
and he, as he was going for my flags, I don't know what was going through his mind, but he just decided to reach for the shorts that I was playing in on that particular day. And on his way down, he just pulled my shorts right down to my ankles. And I'm running here, and I've got my classmates on this side and that side. And I have this decision to make. i got about 60 yards to go in my boxer shorts there. And I'm like, do I stop, pull them up, and let him grab my flags, or do I just keep on going? And of course, uh, you know, I just kept on going. And so for about 60 yards, there I am running with my shorts dangling around my ankles, you know, and got the touchdown, pulled up my shorts, and what do you do, you know? You pull all the dignity out of you. You said, Pastor, you should have stopped. You said, I probably should have. I just, you know, the, you know, the competitiveness starts coming out in you and things. But we've all had times where opponents, people who are trying to stop maybe the good, that Christ wanted to do through us. And, and at times it almost seems like they're unfair. They begin to do things that are hurtful. Things that are not right. And how is it that we as believers, as Christians, are to respond? And like I said a moment ago, more specifically, how is it that Christ, His Spirit, His grace, how does Christ's Spirit want to respond through us? towards those individuals, and that specifically is what we are going to talk about here today. Inside your service program, you'll find an outline that you can use to follow along here through the message. I hope it'll be a help to you as we study this passage, just kind of word by word, phrase by phrase. I hope it'll be a help to you. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text here today from Hebrews chapter number 12. I'll begin reading in verse number 2. I'll read down through verse number 3. And then we'll take the rest of the time just to unpack this a little bit. And my prayer and hope is that when we walk out these back doors, we'll have a much deeper understanding of what it is here God has for us through this passage. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12... Verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, let me give you some background. Chapters number 1 through chapters number 11 of the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews, alright? This was not written to the Gentiles. These, this, were, this was written to the people of God, the Jews, alright? And they were ones who were looking for a Messiah to come. This is being written to those who have not necessarily believed that Jesus was in fact the prophesied Messiah. And so for 11 chapters here, this author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is really trying to convince the Jews that Jesus was indeed not just a prophet, not just a good rabbi, but truly was God in the flesh. And so finally we come to Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 2. And the author says here, look unto Jesus. He's the author of your faith. He's the one who's, who started this thing. He's the one that got it rolling. He was the one that got it moving. But now he's going to throw in something very unique that us today need to remember. Not only is he the author of our faith, but this passage is going to declare for us that he is also the finisher of our faith. He is the completer of our faith. As you study this word in the Greek, you'll find it literally means the perfecter of our faith. It goes on to say, who for the joy that was set before him, that's Jesus, endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now notice verse 3. For consider Him, consider Jesus Christ that endured such, notice this word, contradiction. That word opposition of sinners against Himself. Why should we do this? It tells us at the end of verse 3. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Why do we need to look unto Jesus? Why do we need to consider Him? He says this is extremely important because if you don't, you're liable, you're in danger of becoming weary. You're in danger of becoming tired. You're in danger of fainting, of of not being able to persevere in the Christian faith. This morning I want to speak on the subject of endurance in the midst of opposition and difficulty. Endurance, perseverance, faithfulness in the midst of that opposition and difficulty. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm in desperate need of your grace over the next few moments, dear Lord. In and of myself, I have nothing to offer these people, Lord, before me today. I come to you humbly recognizing, Lord, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. I pray that your word would be made manifest, Lord, over the next few minutes. May this not be about a personality. May this not be about someone's opinion. But Lord, may your word be high and lifted up. And may Jesus Christ be glorified above all else. I pray for those individuals here right now who are experiencing opposition. Maybe it's someone who calls themselves a loved one. And they find themselves in opposition. It feels like those people are trying to to stop the very good that we're trying to do. Lord, I pray that your word would speak directly to their situation this morning. Maybe it's somebody at a workplace who's making life miserable when we're just trying to glorify you in that environment. Lord, I pray that your word would speak into that situation. And God, may you give us the grace today. Would you give us the power today to persevere in the midst, Lord, of the world we find ourselves living in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I want you to notice that little phrase at the beginning of verse number 2. I I probably read it this week a hundred times or more. And it just kept jumping out at me and kept jumping out of me. Look, Look at what it says here. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice this next phrase. Who, for the joy that was set before him. I want you to see that. Who for the joy that was set before Him. What was that joy that was set before Jesus Christ as He hung there dying on a cross? What was that joy that was set before Him? The reward of Christ's suffering. The joy of Christ's suffering was the salvation of souls. The reason he could with joy hang on that cross is because he knew there would be a reward to his suffering. And that reward would be your salvation. That reward would be my redemption. That reward would be our justification. 
And so for the joy, the fact that one day we would come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and He would save us from our sins, it was that joy that was set before Him that He persevered. The word here uses endured the cross. I love reading history, especially Christian history. And not too long ago I was reading some Christian history about a group of Christians known as the Moravians. And those of you who have read some Christian history, you're familiar with these groups of people. Just a a real passion for the glory of Jesus Christ and the, the propagation of the gospel to the nations. And it really was a part of who they were. And, and they were known as a missions-minded people looking for opportunities to get the gospel outside of their regions to the world around them. As I was reading, I came across a story that really just wrecked me to my core. There were two young Moravian men who had heard about an island in the South Pacific, and I'm sorry, in the West Indies per se, out in the Atlantic Ocean. And on this particular island, some 150, 200 years ago, there was a, a British atheistic landowner who had, had slaves. He would take these slaves to these islands, and they were saying there was between two and 3,000 of these slaves on this island. And he was very, very specific about the fact that he didn't want anybody else coming in, any preachers, any clergymen who would come in and, and try to convert these particular slaves. And when these two young Moravian men heard about it, they began to pray and ask God what they could do to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people. After praying for several weeks, one of the young men finally figured out a plan. And he he went to his friend and he says, I I think I know how we can get, get to the island. His friend said, well, tell me about it. What is it? What are we going to do? We've got it. This, This is so vital. It's important. And the young man said, what if, what if we sell ourselves into slavery? to this British slave owner and have him take us to the island. Of course, in that moment, both the men knew it was basically a death sentence. The disease, the persecution that existed on that particular island didn't lend itself to a long lifespan. Finally, they agreed in prayer that that's what the Spirit of God would have them to do. And so there at the port of Hamburg, they literally sold themselves into slavery. That landowner locked the shackles around their hands, around their feet, made their way onto a ship. Their family had gathered around, literally with tears in their eyes, wondering about the wisdom of the decision they had made. Wondering if it was not a little too extreme. As they stood there on the ship, it wasn't long before that ship began to make its way out into the Atlantic and the distance between the land and the ship grew further and further. Those men stood right there on the side as their families waved with tears running down their face. And when the gap had widened to the point where it would be their last opportunity to say something to their families, 
they stood shoulder to shoulder. And one of the young men yelled out at the top of his lungs, Oh, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. You say, what was that reward? What was that joy? It was the salvation of men. I want to say to you today, if you get nothing else, our our theme for this morning is simply this. By God's grace, you can persevere. By God's grace, you can endure. You can be faithful in the midst of any opposition. It's possible in Christ. Someone once said that quitters never win and and winners never quit. So how do we persevere? How do we endure? How do we stay faithful to that which Christ has called us to in the midst of a culture that seems to oppose Christian values? How do we stay faithful in a society that seems to just hate everything that we stand for? How is it that we endure and persevere and move forward in the midst of this society, in the midst of this culture? in the midst of these times. And and that's what we're going to unpack today. This morning, we're going to look at two powerful realities from this passage regarding perseverance in the midst of hostile opposition. So let's begin with verse number 3 here. I want you to see this. The Bible says in verse number 3, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. So the Bible here is saying, I want you to consider. I want you to meditate. I want you to focus on this one, Jesus Christ, your Savior, who endured, who persevered in the midst of this opposition who endured in the midst of this contradiction of sinners against himself. The author of this passage here encourages us to focus first and foremost on what Jesus has done for us. You see, the Scriptures tell us to be strong and and courageous. How many of you have read that before in the the Word of God? Be strong and courageous. And and yet, I'd have to be honest with you. I've had lots of times where fear begins to set in. Have you? I've had times where I begin to lose my courage. I know what God's Word wants, and I know what His Spirit wants to do through me, and yet my heart begins to faint. You've been there before? Where the good that you would, you do not. (laughs) Where you're on the edge of losing your very will to continue, where you're tempted to give up and quit on those things that you know Christ would want to do through you. You ever been there before? On the brink of whether or not you'd continue? It might be that there have been some in here and and you've wondered at times if you were going to continue in on your marriage. Stay faithful to what God has called you to do. Sometimes even when we stay physically engaged as fathers, we become tempted to disengage emotionally. We've had seasons where, yeah, we'll go through the motions, but that's all it is. Nothing real. We've quit 
But that's it. All of a sudden, if you're like me and you've had seasons of failure, it brings shame. It brings guilt. It brings condemnation. But this is what I want you to understand. That even in the midst of your shame, even in the midst of that guilt and that condemnation, Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood, literally absorbing all the consequences of your sin upon himself. Absorbing all your guilt, absorbing all your shame, absorbing all your condemnation. And as Jesus Christ hung there on that cross, took the punishment and took the penalty and took the pain upon himself, taking upon his body what you deserved, taking your place, becoming using a theological word the propitiation for you and this verse says I want you to consider him I want you to focus on that one who persevered for you. I want you to focus on that one who just kept going even as he was up against that contradiction of sinners. And that leads us here. This verse leads us to that first thought this morning. And that is simply this. Each of us need to focus on Christ's perseverance for me. Focus on Christ's perseverance for me. We all need times in our daily lives where we are really focusing on what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. This is not just something that's like a good idea. This is something that we are encouraged to do to regularly turn our mind and our focus and our hearts and fix our mind on Jesus. To look unto Jesus. To focus on the cross. And the Bible says look unto Jesus. He's the author. But he's also the finisher. Consider. Meditate. Focus on this one and what he did for you. Reminding yourself of that great sacrifice. See it. I want you to see this for yourself. Verse number two. Look unto Jesus. The beginning of verse two. Notice the beginning of verse number three. For consider him. Again and again, we are reminded as believers to look to Jesus, to focus on Jesus, to meditate on Him, to allow what He did for us to continually permeate our thinking on a daily basis. It is absolutely vital to our spiritual health that we regularly focus on what Jesus did for us. I want to remind you today that Jesus persevered for you. Jesus endured for you. Jesus was faithful for you. When he went to that cross and his palms bled, he was bleeding so he could persevere for your forgiveness. As his legs and as his crown of thorns went into his head, he was persevering through that on your behalf. He didn't get halfway through the process. He didn't just get most of the way through the process. There as his face had been beaten to the point that the Bible declares that his visage, his countenance was hardly recognizable as a man. He persevered for you. When that soldier came with the cat of nine tails and began to beat his back to a pulp, he endured every single lash for your sin and for my sin. As they put that wooden cross on his shoulder, 
and demanded that he carry it up the Via Dolorosa. And every time he fell and his feet hit those stones and his knees were scraped against that rock and the blood began to flow from his legs, he continued, he got back up, he was faithful because he loves you. And when he crawled to his cross and laid himself down as a sheep before the slaughter and allowed those Roman soldiers to put those nails into his palms and those nails into his feet, he endured, he persevered the agony, the contradiction of those sinners. But he did that not for himself. He did that for our behalf. He did that for our benefit because he loves you. And with his final breath, he said, It is finished. He said, Everything that I came to this earth to accomplish is done. Jesus didn't give it the old college try. He finished what he came to do. The joy that was set before him. The fact that one day you would come to that old rugged cross and you would humble yourself before him recognizing that you didn't have anything to offer him for your salvation. That there was no morality that you could bring to cleanse yourself. That it was all for what Jesus Christ would do for you. What Jesus Christ would do through you. And when you humbled yourself, oh, he came and he forgives sinners. And he did everything he needed to do to finish that. I love where the Bible says here in verse number 3. It says he is now sit down, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a metaphorical term. It literally means that he's set there in a place of authority. That right hand was a position of, of literally power. A place of authority. And the Bible declares that that is where he was set down, in a place of authority, in a place of power. You see, the cross didn't just purchase our forgiveness for past failures. The cross also purchased the victory for the future as well. As he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God, his authority, his power, his grace and strength didn't just forgive your past, but it enables and empowers your future for victory even into the days ahead. Oh, that's what Jesus offers. But the Bible says, I want you to consider him. I want you to look unto Jesus. Can I ask you this question? How often do you focus and look unto Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary for you? How often do you just consider it? I'm, it's sad, but I know oftentimes in my case, I can go a couple days and never really give a thought to what Jesus did for me. To not think of the redemption that he purchased with his very blood. And the Bible says, I want you to look unto Jesus. Notice the word looking. It's a continual tense. It's not something we just do once. God says, I want you to continually look unto him. I want you to continually focus on him. I want you to continually get your mind's eye and your focus and your thinking fixed on what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. Notice this passage. It doesn't say, I want you to look to pop psychology. If you're feeling like you're kind of running out of steam and you're not quite going to make it, it doesn't say, hey, go and look to the next self-help book. It doesn't say look to some inspirational television. 
I'm not saying all these things are intrinsically wrong in and of themselves. But what I am saying is this. If you find yourself running out of steam, if you find yourself in the Christian life and you're starting to get a little, you're, you're, you're just getting a little weak and you're getting a little faint-hearted and you're just having struggles here. And I've heard people say, I, just, I feel like my relationship is not quite where it once was with God. and I just don't feel like I have quite the passion that I once did. You know what the Bible says? It's not another inspirational television show or another self-help book or another pop psychology lesson. He says what you need first and foremost is to get a fresh view of Jesus Christ. A fresh view of what he did on for you on your behalf when he died on that cross. You need a fresh vision of God. A fresh view, vision of Christ. To see him high and lifted up. The problem is, and if you're like me, we tend to look to a hundred things smaller than Jesus for hope. We tend to look to a hundred things smaller than Jesus for motivation. We tend to look to a hundred things smaller than Jesus for inspiration. Rather than just looking to him and the cross of Jesus Christ, recognizing it was on that Christ cross that he purchased your very soul taking the punishment that your sin deserves, the pain, the consequences, the guilt and the shame, and absorbing it upon himself on your behalf. Wow. Can I ask you this question? What what do you tend to look to for hope and for courage? When when you feel like you're running out of steam spiritually, where's, where's the first place you tend to go to? It's not that those things are intrinsically bad or evil, but can I say this? They're not enough. That's my point. It's to get a fresh view of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. It's what the Bible says is what you need to persevere. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 verse 57. I love this passage. I don't know if they have it on our screens. The Bible says, but thanks be to God. Why, why are we thanking God? Why are we, why, are we, why are we showing gratitude to God? Which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we abide in Christ, as we abide in Him, the Bible says that we have continual victory. We can triumph in Him because of Christ's salvation, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary, not just in being the author of our faith. We all know that. Jesus was the one who started it on the cross of Calvary. We understand that we had to pray to Christ and put our faith in Him and receive His grace to be saved. I think that's like Christianity 101 kindergarten. We know there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's no good works we can bring to the table. We know that it's all of His grace. It's all of Him. But where we tend to get confused is we think once we have His grace, once we have His strength, once we are saved, then we've got to start doing it on our own. We've got to kind of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We've got to get self-disciplined. we just got to make it happen. And so you'll go to churches and you'll hear a lot of preachers begin to preach and kind of twist your arm and put you on a guilt trip and make you feel like if you're not doing this and you're not doing that and if you're not doing these things and those things, then you're just not arrived. and You're just not at the same level as somebody else. I want to say this. By what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, you have everything you need for salvation and for sanctification. He loves you. 
as much as he loves anybody else here. He accepts you just like anybody else. You're loved. But I want to remind you today that he's not just the author. He didn't just get this thing going and saying, okay, now go on your way. The Bible says that he is also the finisher of it. That Jesus Christ is also the completer of it. He's also the sustainer of it. And the very grace that he gave you to start this thing and to be saved and to become a Christian and have your faith in him, the same thing that started it, Jesus says that same grace will finish it. He says, I'll empower you just like I gave you the power to become the sons of God. He says in much the same way, I'll empower you to walk in the light as he is in the light. I'll empower your sanctification. I'll strengthen you here that day. Can I say, in Christ, you don't have to live like a quitter. Because of who we are in Christ, the Bible says that we have been declared a victor. In Christ, you no longer have to live in fear. Because of your position in Christ, you, have, you can be strong and of good courage. You no longer have to be defined by your past failures. Because of Christ being in you and you being in Christ, you can be strong. You, my friend, are declared to be victorious in Christ. You say, I don't always live like it. Because you don't believe it. This is who Christ declared you to be. He declared you to be victorious. He declared you to triumph. He declared you to be a new man in Christ. That's who God says you are. But too often we ignore who God says we are. And we allow the social mirror. We allow our emotions we allow a thousand other things to define us rather than allowing our Savior to define who we now are in Christ. Because of what Christ did on our behalf, I want to say you've already won. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, you're already victorious. Because of what Jesus Christ did as he shed his blood, you are already a victor. And he gives you the power to live like it. Notice the end of verse number three. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. So the Bible says, I want you to focus on this thing. I want you to focus on Christ's perseverance for me. But he doesn't stop there. Notice, lest ye be wearied... And faint in your mind. So the Bible says here, why, why is this so important? Why, why are we commanded to focus on him? Why are we commanded to look and, and to think upon him? And, and here the author says very clearly, this, this is why, lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. This passage is teaching us that Christians who aren't focusing on Christ, Christians who are not regularly abiding in Christ, who don't regularly consider Him and meditate on Him, will become weary, will become tired, and will become exhausted in their Christian life, and eventually they'll quit. Now, I'm not necessarily here preaching that you will lose your salvation. The Bible declares that we are sealed into the day of redemption. But while Christ is being faithful to us, 
many Christians will stop being faithful to Him. Why? Because they've stopped considering. They've stopped looking. They've stopped being wowed and awed by the greatness of their God. And now it's no big deal. Yeah, he died. Yeah, he shed his blood. But you're no longer awed by it. You're no longer captivated by that forgiveness and mercy and grace. And it no longer means anything to you. So you stop looking. You stop considering. You stop thinking. You stop abiding. And the author here says, but beware. Don't lie. Because if you do, you'll be wearied and you'll begin to faint. That's why the Bible declares, be not weary in well-doing. This is how we become weary. You ever been there before? You've ever been there in your Christian life and you feel like, I've just ran out of steam. I don't think I can do this anymore. When that gets said and when I feel that in my own heart, here's what it, here's what it reminds me of. That I have stopped being in awe of who Christ is for me and what he's done for me. One of the indications, I I need you to, this is very careful that we get the nuances of this. One of the indications as to whether or not I'm truly accessing God's spirit... I'm truly appropriating His grace and strength through my life. Because honestly, let's be honest, the Christian life is not about what you can do for God. It's what God can do through you. And we we can go a long time talking about this, but theologically, Christ, who lives in you, now wants to live through you. What Christ did for you in persevering, Christ wants to do through you in faithfulness. I can't, even the Apostle Paul said, the good that I would, I do not. Okay? So if one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, the Apostle Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing, then guess what? I hate to throw this at you, but you probably ain't going to do it either. (laughs) And I'm probably not going to be able to pull it off either. And so Christ says, hey, it's not about what you can do for me. It's what I want to do through you as you surrender to me, as you consider me, as you come to the throne of grace and behold mercy and you look unto Jesus and consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners as you focus on me and abide in me and you're abiding just like the branch abides in the vine so his life-giving grace will flow in you and flow through you and do in you and do through you what you could never, ever, ever do on your own. And he can endure where we fail and he can persevere where we feel like giving up and he can be faithful where we fall down again and again and again because he can do what we can't as we simply abide in him. Which leads us to our final thought this morning and that is this. Focusing on the perseverance of Christ empowers us to respond with faithfulness to Christ. Now, notice that in this passage, the author did not say, well, just try harder. Just buck it up. You can do it. Here's what he's saying. He doesn't even say persevere. He just says look unto Jesus. Why? Because as you look unto him, you won't faint. As you consider him, you won't grow weary. 
If you don't, you'll become weary. you become faint-hearted. This is where Christians start to get sidetracked and distracted by a thousand things smaller than Jesus. They begin to quit. Respond with faithfulness to Christ. My friends, as we look unto Jesus and focus on Him, God will use this focus and He'll use this meditation to empower perseverance through us, even in the midst of difficulty and opposition. Now, I want you to see this. One of the indications as to whether or not I'm truly accessing God's grace, one of the indications whether I'm truly responding in Christ-like perseverance in difficult times is do I persevere? You say, I don't know. Am I responding correctly when this person's opposing me at work and my spouse seems to be opposing me and it seems like I'm trying to do what God wants me to do? How do I know if it's really Christ working through me, if it's truly His grace and His power, or if it's just me trying to buck it up? How do I know? Here's how you'll know. Because when it's Christ, He perseveres. When we yield to Him and abide with Him, there is a grace of perseverance. There is a grace of endurance that He gives even in the midst of the most just awful opposition. That's what Christ did at Calvary and it's what He continues to do through us. There's a perseverance when we're opposed by sinners. The author here is trying to remind us that focusing on Christ will keep us from becoming weary. That meditating on Christ will keep us from becoming tired in our Christian walk. It keeps it fresh. That regularly thinking about what Christ has done on our behalf will keep us from quitting. That is to say, focusing on Christ and thinking about Christ and considering Christ and meditating on Christ, it'll allow us to endure. It'll allow us to persevere. It'll allow us to stay faithful. It'll give us the strength not to quit. It'll give us the stamina not to throw in the towel. It'll give us what we need not to give up. We need Christ. We need His grace. Notice what James 1.12 tells us. Blessed or happy is the man that endureth temptation. That word in the Greek for temptation is also translated trials in other places. Blessed is the man that endureth these temptations, that endureth these trials. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There is literally a crown in heaven when you allow Christ's Spirit to persevere through you. Can I remind you of something? That the best way out is often through. If you're like me, so often we go to God and we pray, God, will you remove this obstacle, this opposition from my life? It's really kind of annoying me. You ever been there before? And yet what we're learning here is God says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. as what he said to the Apostle Paul. And because I endured for you, I can also endure through you. As a believer, the Spirit of God resides within you. And what Jesus did for you He now wants to do through you in sacrificial perseverance. So, let's let's kind of recap this and we'll kind of wrap this up here. Focusing on Christ's perseverance, all right? Or 
focusing on the perseverance of Christ empowers us to respond with faithfulness to Christ. If you're here and you, you, you're being opposed and people are making your life difficult and it's, it's making your spiritual life, you just feel weak and tired, can I say the antidote is Jesus. The antidote is looking to him and meditating on him. You say, I don't want to think about him. I want to think about the rotten person who's making my life miserable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's natural, isn't it? I'm just going to say this. It won't help. But that's what we do. How many of you are like me and like a broken record that what that person did or what that person is doing plays over and over and over and over again in your mind and you just keep thinking about it and you keep focusing on it and you keep meditating on it and it's just like a broken record. It just keeps grinding your subconscious over and over making you more bitter and more resentful and more angry. And Christ says... Get your focus off of that. And look unto me. Consider what I endured for you. Consider what I went through because of your sin. Think about what I went through in order to love you. And you do that and you abide in that. And all of a sudden you'll find a grace of perseverance. A grace of mercy and forgiveness begin to work in you and through you toward those who are opposing you. So, so what are some practical... What, what does this look like very practically? We're going to spend one minute here. What, what does it look like? How do I focus on Christ? And what's this going to manifest itself like? Really, really basically, and I'm not going to try to get all legalistic about this, but if, if Christ is working through you, here are some of the indications. This is some of the things that will be evident in your life. There will probably be a regular time of daily quiet time with God. Uh, in our lobby, we have just little devotional journals. And somebody who's persevering is looking unto Jesus. They have a regular time of quiet time. Can I say this? If you don't have a regular time of just time with you and God, you're probably struggling as a Christian. And I'm not saying you're a bad person or God hates you. I'm just saying you, you probably feel weak. You and I, we need more than just one meal on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We need to... Feast on God's word regularly. Man, it's great that we can come to church and sing songs that get us to focus on Jesus. And oh, it's great to come to church and open up the word of God and help us to focus on Jesus. But you need it more than just on Sunday. You need a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And, and you're not always going to have a pastor or a church member around who just kind of, you know, kind of spoon feeds you the word of God. You need to learn to feed yourself and have that regular time where you're basking and focusing and meditating on the glories of Christ. It'll give you the stamina you need to endure what you go through at work. It might be another practical idea that one of the indications, you might, you might have a spiritual journal. And by writing, it helps you focus. I, I'm a little bit scatterbrained. <laughs> For me, it's a good thing. I write a lot. Because in writing, it helps me focus. And if you're like me and you find yourself a little ADD or ADHD or whatever, I know for me, just focusing in writing helps me focus on Christ and literally penning out. Do, do you realize that David penned out many of his prayers? They're called the book of Psalms now. To help him focus. It might be 
that as you're kind of going through this season here, focusing, um, regular prayer times is a mark of somebody who's regularly looking unto Jesus. And I'm not just talking about kind of with a family before dinner for three seconds. And that's good. I'm, I hope you do that. But these are, what does it look like when somebody is regularly looking unto Jesus? They're just going to have these times. They might have some of these disciplines. There's going to be seasons of prayer that mark their life. I'm not, I'm not talking about checking it off your checklist so you can feel superior to everybody else who doesn't do it. That's not the point of this. The point is this. This is what, this is what these, are the, these are the things that the Spirit of God does through a person who's focusing on Him. A person who's able to have the stamina to continue. And oftentimes when you feel weak, rather than running to this thing or running to that thing, run to the presence of Jesus. I personally believe that a growth group, we have growth group Bible studies around here, I believe they're a great tool that God can use to keep us focused on Him. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. So a friend sharpened the countenance of his friend. I believe that God can use growth group Bible studies, small group settings, to really sharpen us to focus on Christ. And I, I believe it's, a, it's something that God will use. I believe it's a mark of someone who's just really trying to focus on Him. I believe increased faithfulness to church. Church, a, a good church. And there's a lot of good churches. I, I realize we're not the only good church. But a good church is going to get you to focus on Jesus. I'm going to say this. You want to be careful of a church that's always just trying to motivate you to go on for another week. You can do it. You're really bad, but if, if you try harder, maybe you can do good this week. You need a church that just constantly pushes you toward Jesus. Get you to focus on Jesus. Focus on Him. Surrender to Him. Yield to Him. Allowing Him to work through you. Your hope is not in you. Your hope is not in a great path. Your hope is Jesus. Not a church. Not a pastor. Your hope is the grace of Jesus Christ. And you want to be a part of a local assembly that is regularly pushing you to focus on Him and Him alone. Focus on Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had to update my computer. It was running incredibly slow. We have some guys in here who work in IT departments, and, and you guys understand this. And so I was trying to upload all this program from one computer to another. And so I connected them using some special wire that somebody told me to get and it was going to transfer all the information to one to the other. And as soon as I plugged it in, there was this little wheel that started turning. I don't know if any of you have seen this before. And, and it, was kind of, it was kind of turning and a, and a little message popped up and I could see a, a bar of information as it was starting to transfer over. And I, I looked on this bar and here's what it said. 14 hours remaining... <laughs> You ever been there 14 hours? Like I thought I was going to plug it in like, you know, three minutes later it was going to be done. 14 hours. And then a little, a, little, a little bar popped up on my screen and it said, do not disconnect. And I'm sitting there and if you know me, you know I tend, I, I, I tend to be a little impatient and it's an area I just, I'm growing at 14 hours. I had stuff to do. <laughs> I've worked to get done. And everyone was just spinning, little bar going, do not disconnect. You see, what was happening is information was being transferred from one computer to the other. Literally, this computer was becoming smarter. 
as it was taking the information from this place to that place and it was bringing that information over and that whole time and, and if you're like me I'm like coming every six minutes you know I'm looking at it <laughs> nothing's changing you know I go about my business and I come back like thinking that it just was so slow I mean 14 and finally it was like 13 hours but still that kind of the bar do not disconnect Can I say to you today, God's trying to upload some things into your life through this opposition. And I know it's trying your patience. And I know you're thinking to yourself, it's just taking too long. And why doesn't God move a little quicker here? I'm trying to stay focused. I'm trying to abide. I'm trying to stay connected to what is important to him and what he values. But I just thought I'd be done by now. I I thought this thing would be finished by now. And it's as if the Spirit of God wants to say to you, do not disconnect. Don't disengage. Just focus on me. Stay connected. Don't quit. And you can do that as you keep your mind fixed on Jesus. You may have some co-workers opposing you. You may have some so-called loved ones opposing you. You may have people in this very room who call themselves Christians and it feels like they're just opposing what you're trying to do. You may have the forces of darkness opposing you. You may even have Satan himself opposing you. But I want to declare to you today, he is no match for your Savior, Jesus Christ. Stay connected. Stay focused on him. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners. By God's grace, you can endure and by God's grace you can persevere and by God's grace you can be faithful and even in the midst of hostile opposition Christ can work his grace and his strength through you Christ's spirit working through us gives us the power to persevere in the face of any opposition as we look to him so let me ask you this are you looking to Jesus How do you practically look to Jesus? What are some indications, some marks in the regular rhythm of your life as a believer that would reveal that you have a pattern of looking to Jesus and considering him? I I love this statement. Somebody once said that the hard work of the Christian life is the hard work of meditating on what he did on our behalf. The hard work of abiding in him. It's not about what Christ want, you want to do for Christ. What Christ wants to do through you and he works through you as we abide and then constantly yield and surrender and allow him to do through us what we have failed again and again to do on our own. But in Christ, you can. You're not a quitter anymore. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you are a victor. You are more than a conqueror. And there is victory in Jesus. Are you looking to him? Are there indications in your weekly rhythm that would reveal a life that is focused on him? And what would those be? And on the flip side, are there any things in your life that you've found become a distraction to looking to Christ? It just seems like whenever this gets into your life, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's this thing or that thing, and it just seems like you don't focus on Christ quite the way you used to when that thing wasn't there. And it might be that the Holy Spirit of God is saying, hey, it's, maybe it's time to let that thing go 
because it keeps that relationship, this vertical relationship being what it needs to be. And I can't be your Holy Spirit and I can't tell you what those things are. But would you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, if, there's, if there are any of those things, would you reveal them to me and would you give me the grace to surrender them to your Lordship? And Lord, do a work through me like you did for me. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father.